Welcome, everybody, to the first ever Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Todd Buckingham. And what brought me here is just a fan of the Summit League. And um, let's introduce our other two hosts. Yes, yeah, so I'm Zach Dosh. I, I currently live in Bismarck, North Dakota. I do color commentary for Midcon Communications and also Beck Sports, primarily for UND basketball. Um, and I really have great Stephen to thank for getting me into this. So um, it should be a, a pretty interesting year. That's that's safe to say right now. Absolutely, uh, it's good to be with you guys. I'm, my name is Greg Steeman. I have been with uh, Midco Sports Network for eight years, I guess already. I think getting ready to go into my ninth season and uh, covered UND back in the day before Zach took over. Did some work for USD, and now primarily have been with north dakota state for the last three or four years i believe and then i uh, have the good fortune to be able to work the summit league tournament so that's uh that's the extent of my background from the broadcasting side of things uh, was a, a college basketball ca uh, coach back in the day zach didn't say it but he was a, a player back in the day and so we've we think we have some knowledge uh, but uh, the, the nice thing all three of us have in common is we love uh, mid-major college basketball yeah that's really what brought us all together just a common uh, knowledge and passion for this conference and this level of basketball it's really high level basketball it's going to be fun to shine a light on them talk about it and i think we all bring different perspectives to this and that's what usually makes the conversation so fun yeah i'm really just here with the fan perspective and i just started this as a thing as my two boys were young i wanted a mid-major conference close enough to home that we could travel to for something to to do together and then just started watching games like crazy. So I definitely do not have the expertise of, of you two gentlemen, but uh, come with that fan perspective and an interesting perspective because I am not a fan of any particular team of the Summit League, just the league in general. And I think that's kind of, that's the background we all have. You know, that's the nice thing about just being color commentators is, you know, we're not really, uh, I guess maybe some people think we're partial, but you know, we're really not uh, partial at all, and it's just fun to watch. It's a really high level of basketball. I think that's pretty pretty apparent when you see them play some of the mid-major schools or some of the major schools with some of the par five schools. So uh, it, it, there's just so much to talk about here, and I just don't feel like there's a, a bright enough light showing on it. So that's what we're going to try to do here, I think. Absolutely. So it's a unique year. Um, and I wanted to start out by talking just a little bit about some of the new things um, with the Summit League this year and starting out with the fact that there's a new team. Uh, Kansas City, formerly known as UMKC, I believe they go by Kansas City now, uh, joins the league this year. Uh, were either of you guys around when UMKC was in the Summit previously? Uh, you know what? I, I think I've been here the longest, and I think I came in just after they had left. And so I have not had an opportunity to really watch them in person. Um, ironically, I did go down to USD to help cover a game last year when, when Kansas City came up to Vermillion to play. But uh, they are kind of the, the prodigal son of the Summit League. They decided to go to the, the WAC, um, which I think it was a move by an AD at the time who's no longer there. And I guess maybe that's a badge of honor at times for ADs is to look for a new league. Maybe they, I think they thought they maybe had an easier road to get to the NCAA tournament if they went to the WAC, but realized that it was really, uh, I think the travel was was ridiculous for them. And, and it, it, they're such a perfect fit on this Interstate 29 corridor with uh, the majority 
of the rest of the Summit League team. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, new coach last year and Coach Donlin, and, and uh, I don't think there's any question he's going to bring a, a level of, of intensity and excitement to the Summit League. So speaking of that South Dakota game last year, Greg, Kansas City actually won that game, right? They beat they them and, and Western too. So, I mean, it's not really a question of if they're a good team. It's just a question of can they find a home? Absolutely. And I, and I think that the, the footprint of the summit really fits Kansas City much, much better. And, and uh, so I, I think they're going to end up being a, a, a very positive addition. We're still at nine teams with Fort Wayne leaving. But next year with St. Thomas coming in, that's the goal is to get to an even 10. But this is a nine-team uh, league season once again. And um, who knows how it's all going to work out with, with, uh, with it being 2020. But uh, I think, again, a positive addition for the league. And speaking of St. Thomas, it's been really interesting to follow them. I've always followed them very close, just having knowledge of the Mayak Conference. But they are wasting no time going after the recruits that have offers from the Summit League. And they actually just got a commitment from a point guard that had offers, probably 10 to 12 offers, at least four or five from the good schools in the in the Summit League. So very, very interesting. You know, it's just it's going to be very apparent just to see how quickly they can flip on that switch and get that talent that we know is there, but just really hasn't been able to find a home. So I, it's, they're going to be fun to watch. You know, that Minneapolis market is a big deal to the summer league. I know. Um, and I think they're going to be up to speed very quickly in basketball, at least. Yeah. I, I, I'm very excited about St. Thomas myself. It's less than an hour from my home. So being able to see more summit league games in person is going to be fantastic. And with Kansas City, Billy Donlin, very good coach, formerly of Wright State. The other conference I pay a lot of attention to is the Horizon, and he uh, good teams there. That the year he was let go at Wright State, he won 22 games. Um, I believe last year was his first year at Kansas City, and he went eight and seven in conference. And you guys mentioned the two wins over Summit League teams. So really fascinating to see where they fit in and. And as St. Thomas brings in some of those Minneapolis recruits where they'll fit in as well. And it looked like last year it was almost a, an entirely new roster for Kansas City. Am, am I wrong in assuming that? It, look, it looked like they really turned their roster quite a bit. So I'd expect this year to be a big improvement, even from a decent year last year. Yeah, and it will be interesting. I, and that's the funny thing. Kansas City lost four of their five leading scorers, but Coach Donlin, and I, I didn't follow him that much at Wright State, but as you mentioned, Todd, very successful there. Um, why you fire a guy with 22 wins is who knows, but uh, but they've done pretty well with, with the replacement that they stole from the Summit League. But at the same time, you know, Kansas City is the newest team to the league this year, but we, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. There's a lot of new stuff for college basketball leagues this year, and uh, it's going to be extremely interesting to watch it play out yeah i think most years predictions are tenuous at best and this year it's that times 10 you know we looking at some of these rosters there was a lot of churn in the conference this year both through graduation and transfers in and out uh it's tough to know what to make of some of these teams you know i think you look at the roster and it's like okay you have a handle on two or three of the players and then there's a bunch of question marks and that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing but there's going to be a lot to play out in a very short period of time here this year. Yeah, and go ahead, Todd. And speaking of, well, actually, Greg, go ahead, and then we'll move on to another big change in the conference. 
Well, I, I, what you just look at is with, with the whole COVID thing and the NCAA saying nobody loses a year of eligibility this year. And so that kind of it impacts how coaches are going to be recruiting moving forward. There's a limited number of scholarships. How many guys stay? How many guys move on? And then you throw on top of that the fact that they're going to have the ability to transfer without sitting out. It, we are sitting on uh, kind of what's going to be a seismic change in college basketball just because of the rules that were implemented, implemented some out of necessity, some that were expected to happen. We were just waiting for them to fall into place. Um, and then the, the unique scheduling this year in the, in the Summit League with teams aren't going to play home and homes. If the, you know one team, for example, we, we'll just talk about North Dakota State. They're going to go up to UND, the men's and women's team, on a Friday and a Saturday night. They're going to play back-to-back doubleheaders in Grand Forks. UND's not coming to NDSU. So um, it's going to be very interesting. But I think the coaches all realize, hey, we will do whatever it takes to keep our players as safe as possible, as healthy as possible. We just want to play basketball. And the NCAA itself knows that they cannot afford to go a second consecutive year without having the big tournament. And there's just so much discussion going on behind the scenes now with all these uh, tournaments, like multi-team tournaments in Orlando, things like that. You know, it may not be as solid as we were initially thinking. And so I think teams are very smart, conferences in particular are very smart to just say, hey, what's the bare minimum that we can get away with here to get the most amount of games and have the least amount of exposure? And start there, and if we sprinkle in a little bit extra, then we'll go from there. But uh, you know, back to one of Greg's initial points there. Greg knows this. You guys will quickly pick up on this. I get very frustrated with the way the NCAA handles a lot of things. And I, I know it's kind of, uh, they can be an easy target at times, but this whole nobody uses loses a year of eligibility is, um, it sounds good. I totally understand why they did it, but I'm very curious to see how it plays out. On the Power 5 level, it's probably not going to be that big of a deal. But to some of these schools who have, you know, very shaky budgets. They've already been hit hard by the, the COVID, not having any attendance this year, and then having to fund additional scholarships or have to tell players you need to find a new home is going to be a very, uh, it's going to be an ugly situation after this year. Um, and so maybe we'll just leave that in the future. But uh, that's definitely another elephant in the room that um, is going to have to be addressed at some point. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating in the future. I, like you said, Zach, I like some of the multi-team events and even the scheduling, even though it's imbalanced, it's a good way to get two games done in a short period of time and without travel. I, I think they've actually handled a lot of the COVID type responses pretty well. Yeah, I think they're doing, they're doing a good job there. And um, I think they have like, you know, for example, in the summit league, I think pretty much everybody's on board with doing what they need to do to play that schedule I think the problem is going to be if they want to expand it because all the other Division One schools, they're too busy focusing on their own conference. And then so normally you would go to uh, like maybe even Division Two schools, but then they're not on the same testing schedule as some of these Division One conferences. And so I don't know. It's, you know, I, I think it's I hope it's not a situation that sort of dissolves into where everybody's just sort of fending for themselves. But um, it's far from being settled, I think, even at this point, a month out, really. 
Yeah, and even some of the money-making games that teams at this level would usually get probably aren't going to be as available. Uh, just like you said, the testing at some of the bigger schools, much easier, much easier to fund. They're not going to want schools that aren't able to fund testing the same way, coming and visiting their campuses. It's it's very unique. I'm happy because there will be basketball, or at least they're doing their best to make sure that happens. But continued financial hardship for the schools, which will be hard. Yeah, and if you don't have fans in the stands, all of a sudden paying a school you know, $500,000 or whatever, or $250,000 to come and play, it doesn't seem as appealing now. And the problem is it's not that big of a deal for a Power 5 school. At this point, if they just have one less game, it's not that big of a deal. But the majority of these mid-majors need these pay games to make ends meet for their budget. So the, the trickle-down effect to this is it's going to be pretty disastrous. And it's there's going to be a lot of pain for at least a couple of years here before all this shakes out and we're able to put it all in the past. So... I don't know. We just need to make sure that, that we have a season this year, that there is a NCAA tournament, and so they don't go without that funding for the next uh, into the next year, and then you know stop the bleeding, and then hopefully we can kind of start putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, I guess. Yeah, I agree with what both of you guys are saying, and I think the most important thing, you know, what we have to look at, first of all, is um, there's been a lot of positive experience already with how teams have been able to handle this whole virus deal on the football side of things. When you really look at the number of athletes, the number of games they've been able to play, yep, have they had to be flexible and, and adapt and adjust at times? Without question. The other advantage that football has is they have the larger roster where they can afford uh, a position group or, a, or six or seven kids to not be playing, or even 20 or 30. Uh, that's a little more tenuous on the basketball side of things, but the, the advantage that basketball has is, is that every day that we move on throughout the course of this is there are more and more, um, we're learning more and more about proper treatments or available therapies, whatever it might be. Um, I think the testing has become better and better. I think the short-term turnaround testing is really close, you know, the, the, and, and it's very inexpensive. The sooner that can be available, the much easier it, it makes it on the mid-level teams that, that don't have the budget to the power five. So I think the most important thing, the NCAA is probably going to have to stay flexible on, on the minimum number of games. The goal has got to be find conference champions and then go from there. I, I think you can still fill a, a field of 64 or 68. If you find the conference champions, everybody just wants this season to happen. And so it'll be, uh, I, I think it'll play out, but I think they just have to remain flexible and teams have to remain understanding, and I think this is a year where they will. Well, so speaking of one more change with the conference, uh, there's a new coach at Western Illinois, Rob Jeter, most recently an assistant at Minnesota, uh, but previously at UW-Milwaukee, was there for 11 seasons, went to two NCAA tournaments with them. Many Milwaukee fans would say that he was let go more due to a relationship with the AD, Amanda Braun, who was there his, his final season. Um, but he comes over to Western, takes over an entirely different roster, um, but good experience and um, some good results so far in his short tenure there. So immediately after he was hired, there was definitely a lot of roster churn, as there typically is with, with any new coach. But he wasted no time and filling it back up with the players that he wanted. And so it's a little hard to know what this team is going to be like. 
Um, just kind of trying to do some back, uh, background research on some of these players. I, I think they're pretty good. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to maybe interview him at one point in a subsequent podcast about, okay, you're coming into this scenario. Not only is it hard, but you're also in the middle of a pandemic. How do you put all this together? How do you bring a team together? I'm very curious. Um, I think it's going to be uh, – I'm always curious about this program because geographically where my mind always goes is recruiting, right? And it's a, it, they're in a pretty good spot for recruiting. To be able to pull from Chicago, uh, you know, it's a lot of Chicago players on this roster. And so there's a pretty deep talent pool. They're much similar to, like, for example, Oral Roberts or something like that. They don't have as much competition as a lot of these other schools do. So I, I have to believe this program is kind of a sleeping giant, uh, you know, budget aside. And that's something that we're not going to know about. But I have to believe that they're going to have access to some pretty decent talent there. So I don't know. I, I don't really know what to expect. But he sure, he sure seems to have a pretty clear idea in his mind of the players that he needs. He really does. Uh, you know, Rob Jeter brings immediately brings great name recognition in this part of the country. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that the perceptions of Macomb, Illinois, you know, I've heard, well, you can't get there from here, uh, even though they're they're you know, in Illinois. I don't know that they carry great appeal. But the one thing that from the college basketball standpoint is if you can prove that you can win somewhere that automatically raises your level of appeal to kids. The second thing I'm going to throw out there, and this is just kind of a unique thing. If there was an award for the player in the country that made the best transfer decision, I'm going to look at Ben Pyle at Western Illinois. Kid was uh, played two years, actually really good, about six, seven kid out of Kansas, could shoot it, versatile, could put it on the floor. He transfers from Western Illinois to the University of San Diego, uh, and he gets a free year of eligibility. So he's going to be able to play this year plus two more out at San Diego. I think when it comes to this time of year, weather-wise, um, he's probably thinking, I made a pretty good decision <laughs> moving from Macomb, Illinois, to University of San Diego. It's always fun to see all these transfers play out. And I, I'd be curious to see why he picked there. Um, there's no it's doubt. In, it's in yeah, San Diego. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe he would tell us that, maybe he wouldn't. But, uh, you know, it's it certainly, you know, I, I just saw, yeah, he's going to be immediately eligible too. So he, his waiver was granted, you know, for whatever reason, you know, but it was granted. So that's good. And like you said, he's not even going to lose a year of eligibility and play basketball in the afternoon and go to the beach in, in the evening. So good for him. Um, all the transfers and new additions to the to the teams in the Summit League. So I think it'd be good for us to just run down some changes and what that might mean to the different teams. Uh, Zach, do you want to start out with Denver? Yeah, you know, Denver has always been one of those teams that, it, 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 at least as long as I've been around, they're, they're always flirting with that 8-9 spot in the conference. And why that's so important is that's the difference between making the conference tournament or not. Um they're a good school. They're they're in a good geographic location. They've had some talent, but they've really struggled just getting the, the traction that you need to compete with some of these other really fantastic programs in the conference because there's really no other weak co- uh, programs in this entire conference. And so, you know, last year, uh, key departures, Ade Murky, uh, 18.6 points per game, really a fantastic player. And David Nezikwezi, a, a nice post player. Um, so what they have left is really Jace Townsend 
and Robert Jones. Those are the two sort of building blocks for this year. And um, I, you know, they, they had a, a transfer from Colorado. Uh, looks like he played sparingly, but he's a big kid. Um, really, their issue last year was just sort of a lack of shooting, the lack of ability to spread the floor because Jason Townsend can get to the rim. Yeah, well, he's a really good player. He's a he's probably a top 15 player in the conference. It's just that he doesn't necessarily have the players around him, so the defense has to stay honest. They can really cheat and, and hedge and and help on him, things like that. And so I don't know, you know, they're, every year it's just you kind of look at them and you're like, you know, they don't look too much different than some of these other teams, but they just seem to be kind of in this perpetual chicken or the egg situation where it's, you know, you have to win to have the have belief and you have to have belief to win. And um, so, you know, it, it's hard to know. It's hard to make a – it's hard to really make up your mind about some of these transfers that are coming into their program. They have some nice players left over. But I think most importantly for Coach Phillips, it's about establishing their culture there and their expectations. And so, um, you know, he's not a brand-new coach anymore. So I'm very curious to see how this year plays out for them. And, and Rodney Phillips is probably thought of as one of the highest character, best people in the league. I mean, the, the, the guy is top-notch. And he has been close at times. About three years ago, he made a decision, or two years ago, he made a decision to really take a bunch of – D1 transfers, and I think it really killed his locker room. And he realized that. He got rid of some guys. I think he really liked his team last year. His team was capable. As if, as anybody who watched the North Dakota State-Denver 1-8 game in the first round of the Summit League tournament, oh, my goodness. Um, and I think what hurt Denver the most last year was the lack of that third consistent big-time scorer. Jones is young. But he's big, high energy. But Aday Murky and Jace Townsend were just kind of left to do too much between the two of them. But man alive, they were good enough on any given night. And that first round of the Summit League uh, showed what they're capable of. So I think everybody wants to see Rodney Billups continue to build that program. Yeah, I totally agree. And to, to sort of build on your point there, Greg, they beat Oral Roberts and Omaha down the stretch, particularly Omaha, who does not beat themselves. They are very well coached and they have talent. So this, this Denver team, it's like, you know, yeah, on, on paper, it looks like an easy win. But, you know, it, when you watch the way the games play out, that's usually not the case. You know, normally the games are pretty close in the first half. And then every team would just sort of adjust and they would just constrict their defense to the middle of paint. And just it just sort of like a like a python strangling the life out of their offense and uh, just wouldn't be able to convert down the stretch without any more help or without any more floor spacing. So they're an interesting team. They're probably a couple players away. Maybe these, maybe one of these shooters is that uh, missing piece in terms of spacing the floor, but we'll see. Yeah, the, the interesting thing with Denver will be depth. Uh, there is talent there. And, and it was fun to watch them at the end of last year when they made that run to get the, the eight seed. And – never has there been a more fun run for the eight seed, but you could see the difference in a team playing with intensity and a team in Western Illinois that was just ready for the season to be over. It'll be interesting to see the growth of Jones down low and um, whether they can add these additional pieces can add some depth to, to make things a little bit more consistent and have some consistent scoring. Uh, Greg, you have uh, Kansas City. That's our new team that, frankly, everybody's new to us. But is there anything 
that stood out as you were looking at Kansas City? Well, what's interesting, I, I think what maybe stood out to me the most was the way Coach Donlin coached him last year. He had 10 guys that averaged over 10 minutes a game. I don't even know if I can count the number of different starting lineups he had. He's a, he's a guy that's going to go with whoever's playing well right now. <laughs> I think it seems like he gives his guys a relatively short leash. Now, from last year to this year, a team that won 16 games last year, they lost four of their top five scorers. But the one they bring back is an all-league caliber guy in Brandon McKissick, kind of a do-everything guard. Um, Josiah Alec is a 6'8 kid out of Lincoln, Nebraska, who when I watched him last year, I was really impressed with with kind of his motor, his energy. Uh, I think they're going to need him to step up a lot. Marvin Nesbitt was another 6'4 wing that um, I think that's, it seems to me that's what Coach Donlin likes to recruit is uh, guys that can shoot it a little bit and also guys that are multi-talented. And that's what Nesbitt is. Uh, so Nesbitt and McKissick are solid. Alex should be fairly decent inside. Um, you know, they lost a guy in Javen White who was in the Summit League at Western Illinois, went out to Clemson as a, transfer came back to Kansas City as a grad transfer but he's gone we won't see him anymore but some of their new guys they got a 610 transfer from Oklahoma State I'm sure I'll butcher his name Hitty Rosing Rosing um, uh, 610 sophomore and then they've got uh, some other perimeter players I don't know that much about them there's some junior college guys Bolden from Columbia State Community College Kyle Brown of Northwest College out of Wyoming and then Braden Mitchell uh, freshman uh, redshirt freshman out of Seminole State College. So I I think what, you know, and I don't know, you probably know more about Donlin's coaching style than watching him at Wright State, but he seems to be one of those guys that won't hesitate to say, you know what, you didn't practice well this week. I'm going with somebody else in the starting lineup. And in a game, he's going to play. He'll go 10-11 deep, you know, without batting an eye. So I think that means they want to play high energy. They really got after USD. USD had to come from a really big deficit last year on their home floor, still ended up losing by three. It hit a, a three-pointer with about three seconds left for Kansas City. So USD came back and tied it up. But um, Kansas City, they will play hard. They'll get after it. They'll guard on the road, which will give them a chance to win road games. So it'll be interesting to see how he puts this new lineup together. Yeah, it, it, that was the thing that stood out to me as well, just looking at the numbers, is the amount of people that played. So usually you lose what Kansas City lost, and you think, oh, it's going to be tough to replace. And with them, I, I think it's kind of just next man up. And the, the defensive numbers were pretty good. I, I think they'll play um, hard on the defensive end of the floor, and, and we'll get to know them throughout the year. Well, that brings us to, to Zach in, in a – University he knows pretty well, North Dakota. What what is new and what's coming back with North Dakota, Zach? Yeah, well it's um, it, it's year two in this coaching regime here, uh, Paul Sather, and it's uh, so the, the key losses are Marlon Stewart and Billy Brown, both were multi-year starters. Uh, in my opinion, Marlon Stewart was the player of the year in the conference last year. I, I'm obviously probably a little biased because I get to watch him every night, but what he meant to the team. I don't think could have been duplicated anywhere in the conference, uh, especially down the stretch. He's a guy that could have easily averaged 25, 26 points a game if he wasn't so focused on getting his teammates going. Um, and the whole offense revolved around him. When he was out of the game, they they literally could not do anything. And um, he, he was the absolutely the most valuable player in the conference to his team. Obviously, obviously with him moving on, they're going to look very different next year. 
Um, so really the key returners are Philip Robracha and Sean Allen Eikens, two young players who have played a lot in their young careers. They're good players. Um, but now it's just going to be going from being more a complimentary type player to really being the feature players of this offense. Uh, Philip Robracha is a nice post. They actually played through him quite a bit last year. Uh, very well skilled. He's polished. Uh, pretty good defensively, too. Has range out to the three-point line, although he doesn't shoot a lot of them. And so he's a really nice player. And Deshaun Allen Eikens is one of those guys that you can just tell he has it within him to be an all-conference type of player. Very athletic. Played a ton last year. Can knock down threes. It's almost like all he needs at this point is just more experience. So he just has a little bit more situational awareness. Uh, and, and it was a little difficult for him last year because obviously, you know, Marlon Stewart's driving the car, right? He's driving the bus. And so Deshaun's trying to fit in about, you know, okay, when should I be aggressive? When should I not be, you know, figuring out how to play against when, when teams start focusing on him defensively, how does he adjust things like that? So uh, really excited to see what these, what these guys are at, you know, they've, the, the downside in having a short bench is obviously it's hard to make it through that year, but the upside is now both these guys have had a tremendous amount of experience with multiple years left in their eligibility. So really think they're going to be the core of this team. Um, Mitchell Sucre, the transfer from South Dakota School of Mines, uh, they're really high on him. You know, you don't normally think, you know, as somebody that transferred from South Dakota School of Mines, you'd really expect a lot out of other than helping to boost your GPA, but they're, uh, he's a very good player. He's a very good player. I think they're pretty well penciling him in starting at the five or the four, depending on, you know, matchups. But they really like him. He's an athletic kid, a nice, a, a polished kid, obviously very smart. And so they're really counting on him to play a lot this year. Uh, other newcomers, Sabian Sims, uh, um, a, a Juco transfer. He's the type of guy that they really didn't have last year. He's a six, seven guy, could probably guard the two, three, four. Uh, really defensively versatile, really athletic, really good in transition. Uh, so th- he'll definitely be uh, a more of a situational matchup for a lot of teams, but he's a guy that they did not have last year, so he's going to be very important, probably coming off the bench. Caleb Nero is uh, – he, so he played his freshman year at Weaver State, averaged 6.5 points per game. Um, that's not insignificant at all. Like if UND has a freshman that averages 6.5 points this year – that's a very, very big development. And so he did that in a, in, a, in a good conference for a good team. So you know he can play. Sat out last year, transferred here. He'll be immediately eligible, I, I believe. And so I would be surprised if he's not starting at one of the guard spots. They don't, I don't know if there's really a true point guard on this roster other than him. So I, I'd be a little surprised if he doesn't end up starting at one of the guard spots. And then uh, a couple guys that played – uh, intermittently last year, Ethan Igbonago and Brady Danielson, very uh, different players. You know, they were put in tough spots a lot of times. Uh, they were given tough defensive assignments. You know, it'd be one of those things where they wouldn't play much for a game or two, then all of a sudden they get thrown out there right in the middle of a tight game. And so they have a good amount of experience. Both of those players, they're, they're, they're definitely physically capable. I think it's just about confidence for both of those two and really understanding what their role is on this team so they can settle in nicely. Um, Gertatis Urbanovicius, Bentu Panoam, two guys that are sort of on the fringe of the rotation, um, could potentially be counted on. Uh, Gertatis did play, uh, uh, I believe Philip was, you know, like when he get in foul trouble, things like that. So 
Um, neither of those two are new to this conference, and so I don't think they'd be surprised if they had to play a little bit more. And then a, a little bit more on the fringe, you have Carlos Ramsey, uh, Andrew Bergen, and, and Ty- Tyree Nahacho. And so um, they're, they're just trying to get those three established right now. But I think the big takeaway when looking at this roster compared to last year is I think last year they probably had maybe four guys they were comfortable playing, you know, and obviously the problem is you need to play five. So they last year they really struggled getting traction with the rest of their roster. Uh, and you saw that when, when, with some some exits this year. But this year I think they, they probably feel comfortable with seven, maybe eight guys. And so that's a big deal. That's that's a lot that's a, a great amount of improvement in just one year. And you know, programs aren't necessarily built in one year. You look back to Coach Saylor's uh, history, and it's it's usually taken two or three years because he builds programs the right way and uh, he does a good job of identifying and developing the kids the right way. He doesn't normally just go for just all division one transfers, things like that. So um, they're making progress. Is their roster where it should be, like on the North Dakota State or South Dakota State level? Absolutely not. But it didn't happen in a year for North Dakota State or South Dakota State either. So they're on the right track. I think they have a couple more guys um, that they feel comfortable with. But, uh, you know, they, like a lot of these schools, are going to be in a little tough spot this year where um, there's not a whole lot of time. There's no, they are, there's no preseason games. There's no non-conference games. They're going to have to dive right in and, and see what they have here. So, uh, But I do know that they are pretty excited about this group, I think. And I do think. Well, I know I, for one, will really miss Marlon Stewart. He was one of those uh, players that you just had to watch, especially towards the end of games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they transition. Yeah, I think replacing him, you know, who establishes themselves as a point guard? Are they going to be able to establish their routine? Are they going to be able to establish the roles for their players? A lot of questions to be answered in a very short period of time. And when you look at. You know, I, I don't know that anybody expects anybody to replace Marlon Stewart up at UND. Uh, and But Paul Sather knew his talent level and knew that if they were going to win games, he was going to have to be on the floor. I think the biggest improvement will be just the current roster under their second season of a Paul Sather staff. You know, just their understanding of what he expects, uh, how he expects them to play, how he thinks they need to play in order for them to be successful. And uh, so I don't think there's any question that they'll uh, they'll continue to improve because uh, the, the way he's done it in the past is it's really a system and a culture and and the right type of guys. And so I I, I believe they're probably very excited. And uh, there's no question they're, they're going to be in one of those. They're going to be in that group after South Dakota State where, you know what, capable on any night of beating anybody anywhere. So, Greg, uh, you have North Dakota State, and there's actually quite a bit of change with North Dakota State this year. Uh, what do we have coming back, and, and what's new? Well, you know, very similar to UND when you talk about losing Marlon Stewart. You look at NDSU, and the first thing you think about when you think about North Dakota State is who did they lose? Vinny Shahid, Tyson Ward, two guys that were all league players, um, what Shahid did in two years for North Dakota State uh, is, is something that you dream of when you recruit a junior college point guard. Tyson Ward, in his senior year, I just give him so much credit because he continued to, to develop and became one of the most consistent players in the league by the time he was a senior. 
So that's the first thing you look at is, oh, my gosh, how do you replace that? Well, I don't think Dave Richmond says they're going to expect to replace the, the production that Vinny Shaheed and Tyson Ward had with two guys. You also throw Jared Samuelson in there, one of the best all-time three-point shooters in North Dakota State, uh, a very difficult person to replace, and a guy they probably trusted more than anybody on the defensive end. Chris Quayle was another young man. So, yeah, they, they, they lost a lot from a 25-win team. At the same time, uh, when you look back, can they find the same magic? You know, the one new player they've got coming in transfer-wise, Donald Carter, young man out of Scottsdale Community College that has roots in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, you know, every I feel bad for him but when you're a junior college point guard and you follow Vinny Shaheed, who is the last junior college point guard, <laughs> that the, the bar's set pretty high. But Dave Richmond knows, hey, listen, nobody nobody on that staff expects him to be Vinny Shaheed. The other guys that they've got coming back, Rocky Cruiser, who I think is one of the best and most versatile bigs in the league, Ability to shoot it well from the perimeter. A guy you have to get out and guard at the at the arc. Uh, finishes get, has gotten better and better at finishing around the basket, and it's one of those bigs that you love him because he shoots 82% from the line, and, and he's and he's gotten better at getting in and finishing through contact and getting himself to the line. And I think he's really established himself as one of those bigs who's very effective at rebounding out of his area, and much better at being a rim protector. So you, I really like what Cruiser brings as um, what should we call a first-year senior because he's got another year of eligibility next year. So um, I think they're excited about him. Sam Griesel and Tyree Eady, a couple of wings that are really versatile. Uh, Eady just brought a level of stability. Always, You could always count on him to be in the right place defensively. The ability to knock down the, the open three when it was there, do all the dirty work, got in, guarded bigger players at times. Played the four as a 6'5 player, strong physical presence. Stammy Griesel, I think, is one of the most versatile players in the league, to be honest with you. Doesn't have prolific offensive numbers, but his ability to be an impact player on the defensive end and then play multiple positions. I think uh, Carter, the transfer I talked about, had some lower leg uh, injury issues, and I think they were working with Griesel as the point guard, you know, 6'5, 6'6 kid. And, uh, so I, I think he continues to impress. He's going into his third year. Griesel, by the time he's done here, is going to be a guy that people th will think he's been playing eight years in the league because he played so much early on in his career. So I think those are really the, the nucleus guys that, that they're going to count on. But some other guys, uh, a freshman out of Jamestown, North Dakota, Bowden Scunberg. And Zach, I don't know if you had a chance to watch him play in person. This kid has the body and the confidence level to come in and, and be a player that, that Coach Richmond will say, get out and give me some meaningful minutes. The kid can score it. Um, you know, 6'5", 200-pound wing, uh, handles it well, very versatile player on the offensive end, uh, will not came in, come in and lack for confidence. I'm not saying he's going to be a, a fried L at South Dakota State, but I'm also not saying that he doesn't have the chance to, to make an impact uh, for North Dakota State as well. Uh, so I think he's going to be impressive. And then the other guy that I look at is Jarius Cook, a young man out of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. He sat out last year. He played as a as a freshman, redshirted as a sophomore, and I think it was wise because he looked at what Shahid brought to the floor, looked at what Tyson Ward brought to the floor, knew that they played big minutes, and said, you know, maybe my best option is to sit out, learn from these guys, and then come in uh, to to – to a situation where there's great opportunity in front of me. 
Jarius Cook is a kid that is a downhill player. Uh, he'll get to the rim. He's capable of knocking down perimeter shots, so you got to get out and respect his ability. But his ability to put the ball on the deck, get to the rim, I think is going to be something that NDSU really likes to watch. And then uh, another young man that is, is certainly going to be capable, and, and I'm going to miss a few guys, and that's fine, but but Jackson Notek is going into his junior season. He's a kid that is a knockdown three-point shooter, but also has understood that uh, he had probably one of the most uh, impressive dunks in the Summit League last year, in the Summit League tournament, uh, just because he's starting to recognize they're going to fly at him as a, as a dead three, and all he has to do is a little shot fake, and, and uh, I can you know one put it on the floor, one, two bounces, and I can finish. Uh, strong, 6'6", 215, uh, gets it on the defensive end. So the cupboard's not bare at North Dakota State. Yeah, they lost some really talented kids, but I think Dave Richmond has been at North Dakota State long enough. He knows the type of guys he wants to recruit. He knows the mentality he wants them to have, and I think he's ecstatic about the group that he's got coming back. Yeah, it's pretty obvious to see the blueprint for what wins in the Summit League, and I think North Dakota State and South Dakota State have it down to a science right now. It's a bunch of big, athletic guys that are very versatile, and they can all shoot. You see all these guards. They're all 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". You know, NDSU has a number of those guys. So does South Dakota State. I know UND is trying to get some of those guys. But guys that, that can play any position, and that positionless basketball is starting to, to take effect even in this conference. But most importantly, to switch ball screens. I think that's a very big part of this because – a lot of programs in this conference love ball screens like like everyone else. And if you can just simply switch them and you don't have mismatch or matchup issues, it's a huge, huge advantage and it really takes away a lot of what these teams like to do offensively. And so you can tell, I mean, it, it, there are a lot of players. I mean, NDSU could get about as creative as anybody with the lineup that they throw out there defensively. I mean, they really have an answer for whatever this conference throws at them. So, you know, again, a well-run program, the next guys step up. And, uh, you know, it, it's – Greg, you asked if, if I watched Gunberg play a little bit this year. Yeah, I mean, it took about two minutes of watching him to play to know that he was an incredibly high-level player. You know, it's just funny when players kind of get to that level and they're still in high school. It's like – I mean, he's it, – it, it looks like a high school playing against junior high players. I mean, it's just – I, I don't know what you do to, to defensively scheme against him. You know, it's just he's just completely on a different level. And uh, but but there again, you know, a transcendent player on the high school level comes in, and you, you're kind of the bottom of the barrel, and you have to prove yourself again in college. And that just goes to show how how good these players are. I mean, they're absolute elite. They're the best players that have ever played at their high school, and they're still trying to battle it out for a rotation spot. Yeah, great observation about the versatility. And then one of the guys I didn't even mention for North Dakota State, Malik Harden-Hayes. He's 6'7", 185, 190. The kid just flies around. Dave Richmond loves him. And, and he was he earned minutes as a true freshman last year. But it's that versatility. And you, you make a great point. Great high school players, I don't care what level you go to, whether it's Division One, Division Two, high major, low major, uh, different divisions, just, you know, one or two years of college experience, the, the amount of improvement there is. And so I, I don't think there's any question that Skunberg was probably prepared for it. And, and we'll see. If he if he finds his way onto the court, then he certainly earned it because there's some guys that he's had to work his way through to get there. But, yeah, a very good program without question. Well, and, Zach, something you said that just hit home with me is with these programs like North Dakota State or South Dakota State, even when there's losses, they have a plan behind it. 
And those guys that didn't play much last year come in and, and surprise some of us that aren't expecting it, but maybe we should expect it. It they're, they're just ready. And I remember last year picking South Dakota State to finish fourth or fifth because of all they had lost. And, <laughs> well, that was wrong. And and so you just kind of realize some of these programs are just built and ready to, to kind of replace because that's what college basketball is. And to me, it's all about culture, right? You know, the moment that some guy doesn't play the amount of minutes that he feels like he should, they're not transferring right away, right? They're they're getting the big picture. They're wanting to be a part of something great. They're redshirting. They're waiting their time. They're understanding their role. You know, at like like uh, Bowden Scunberg, you know, for example, he's going to come in. Why is he going to get on the floor? Probably to, for instant offense, right? I think he's going to understand that, and he's going to buy in. And um, – going to have a great career it's really fun to see these teams play out you know I think if if uh I don't know how else to say this but like if basketball was seven on seven or eight on eight I would probably pick NDSU to win the conference no it's a good point um I I agree with both you guys and Zach made a good point I and I'll take heat for it but people will make fun of the word culture because sometimes it's really hard to define the best way I've always been able to define it is it's really hard to, to, to see when it's there, but it's extremely noticeable when it isn't. Put it that way. And uh, as you mentioned, South Dakota State, North Dakota State, probably the two most consistent teams we've seen over the last few years. They've got strong culture. Well, North Dakota State lost a couple of big scorers, and, and so did Omaha. Greg, you have Omaha as well. Yeah. yeah. K.J. Robinson, J.T. Gibson. How long have we been saying those names, Zach? Uh, those guys – you know, averaged about just under 30 points a game between the two of them. And yet on any given night, either one of them could go for 30. So what do you do? And, and, and what uh, Darren Hansen has done is at Omaha is he's brought in a couple of a uh, couple of transfers. Uh, Samir Rowe from Independence Community College. And then Marco Smith, ironically enough, from Kansas City, who sat out last year at Omaha. I think Darren Hansen is very high on both of those guys. But it's the same thing. As much as you don't look to come in and say, I'm going to step in to what Vinny Shaheed and Tyson Ward did if I'm at NDSU, I don't think Darren Hans or anybody expects these guys to step in and, and say, I'm going to pick up where uh, K.J. Robinson and J.T. Gibson left off. But everybody knows the importance of guard play. I think one of the things that I really liked about Omaha last year was, was the development of some of their younger guys. Everybody remembers Matt Pyle. He's back. He's one of those guys. Should, isn't he in about his seventh year in the league now, Zach? But Dr. Pyle. Yeah. yeah, finally, finally a senior, you know, 6'8", 250, um, uh, a GPA that's higher than a lot of guys scoring average. And the, the guy just uh, is an imposing presence in the paint and can finish around the rim. But Marlon Ruffin is a kid that really played at a high level. Zach Thornhill as well. The Tut kid is back, as is A.O. Akinwole. So you've got some guys. You've got some experience. Darren Hansen, everybody's going to be maybe feeling sorry for him that he lost those two guards. He's still got a very good team coming back, and I think he feels good about it. Uh, they also got a, a transfer from Division II Wayne State, Nick Ferrarini. And then uh, a big kid out of Southwest Mississippi Community College, Devin Evans. So they've filled some, some holes with some transfers. But it's going to be replacement by committee for those two guards. The big thing for uh, Omaha is they love to play at a high pace, but they they usually do a pretty decent job of not throwing it into row four all the time. And and I think if they can you know keep their turnovers under control, 
I'm sure their their style of play is going to continue to be up and down whenever they can. He's got good experience, good depth coming back, and Darren Hansen is kind of the dean of the coaches in the Summit League. I think looking at the situation selfishly, I don't know about you, Greg, but when I'm when I'm trying to prepare for a game, you know, you're trying to get a handle on rotations and who's gonna who's gonna be counted on, who's gonna be making the shots, so you make sure that you have all your information organized. And there's definitely sometimes when I go into a game and basically nothing that I have prepared is applicable at all because you know guys are playing out of rotation and it's just sort of chaos. I trust Darren Hansen. I trust Darren Hansen. You know, we talked about a couple players here. Yeah, they have some nice players left. Matt Pyle, we know exactly what his stats are going to be at the end of this year. That's how predictable he is. But more than anything, I trust Darren Hansen to get this team to be at the level that he expects all his teams to be at, whether that's when they're Division II or transitioning or Summit League, you know, Summit League Championship. Uh, I trust him almost more than anybody else at this point to know exactly what we're going to get out of him and his team. Yep, I agree. They're always going to. They're always going to be dangerous, and they always put themselves in the conversation. Another one of those teams that sits in one of the, you know, you kind of right in the middle of the league down in Omaha, um, has good high school basketball around them, and at the same time, they won't hesitate to go to Denver, to go to Chicago, go down into Texas to find some people. So they're, uh, yeah, nice program, uh, nice facilities down there, and and they're going to be uh, always going to be difficult whenever you got to go into Omaha and play. Well, and Greg, always kind of middle of the the conference, but then that tournament comes around and it seems like they're always making a run and, and yeah. getting, you know, to the finals a couple of years ago and just always seeming there uh, at the end of the year too. Uh, the, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you. You're hundred percent right. They're, they're a team that you just don't look forward to playing them in the postseason because you know, they're always going to be there. Right. So I have oral Roberts. Um, the couple of huge losses for Oral Roberts, DeAndre Burns, um, not only a good scorer, but rebounds, assists, kind of did everything for Oral Roberts last year. And Emmanuel Nezikwezi, who has seemingly been a star in the league for three, four years, um, really since his freshman season. So two really big losses. Um, so a lot of change with the program. Um, but some big pieces still coming back. Kevin O'Banner, um, one of the returning players that you could call a new player, uh, Deshaun Weaver, uh, Deshaun Weaver uh, missed his sophomore year with his with an injury, but averaged 9.8 uh, points per game and 42% from three-point land um, his freshman year. Uh, big guard forward, six foot eight, over 200 pounds. Um, some other additions in the background in, in the backcourt, there's a Jamie Bergens who's considered a three-star, uh, recruit according to two, four, seven sports. Um, some big guards, Jonathan Alexander, um, a Kareem Thompson, who's six foot six, a Juco player. And then Carlos Jurgens, who redshirted last year, um, did some good things his freshman year. So this will be his sophomore year. I'm returning after scoring 4.6 points per game, and he was a decent ball handler from what I remember his freshman year. Um, additions to the front court, there's not a ton, a couple of freshmen that I don't know much about other than some pretty big-sized guys. A player by the name of Nate Clover, who's six foot eight, 255, uh, to add to Latsis and um, – Lufile from last year, who will get more minutes with Nezikwezi out. Um, one of those teams that every time I look at them, 
tons of talent, and I always want to put them second to to finish second in the league or even challenge for uh, first in the league, but it never seems to come to fruition when it they tend to finish more of the middle of the pack. Um, so it'll be really interesting. But the player that I think is the most interesting, other than Weaver returning after injury, is O'Banner. O'Banner seems to be as talented as anyone in the league. I mentioned once on Twitter that if somebody's going to play in the NBA from the Summit League currently, it will be O'Banner. Uh, but there's games where he can absolutely dominate every part of the game. And then there's games where it seems like he didn't even get off the bus. Uh, and then he just gets, plays a few minutes, sits on the bench, and and that's kind of the end of his day. So a very intriguing team in Oral Roberts. One I still want to pick high in the conference, but I will not be surprised if they finish sixth or seventh by the end of the year. Yeah, I think, you know, Max A. Smith's, Kevin O'Banner, Deshane Weaver. I'd put those three up against any other three in the conference talent-wise. You know, every now and then you get these players in the conference that you just look at the way that they play and you're like, okay, uh, a power five probably missed on these guys. And I think that's kind of what happened here with Kevin O'Banner and Deshane Weaver, quite frankly. They really play like high-level power five players. But, you know, with Shane Weaver, I think he had a knee injury in high school, and that was one of the reasons that he kind of slipped through the cracks and ended up at, at Oral Roberts, and then another knee injury last year. But to have a, a guy his size and his level of athleticism and skill set, to have two of those guys on one team is pretty shocking. And, and I just I don't know if Kevin O'Banner really ever figured out how to best play with Emmanuel Nezaquezi or what he was told to do or how that all came together. It was almost kind of like, you know, Kevin Love going to play with the Cavs, and then all of a sudden you have this guy who's tremendous on the block. He's relegated to just shooting corner threes. And that's kind of the same thing that happened here because there's times that Kevin O'Banner gets a catch on the block and he turns and scores so easily because he's so much, whether it's bigger, stronger, athletic than the guy that he's playing with, it's just like, why would you not do that every single time until your opponent makes you do something different? Um, but, you know, then Emmanuel Nezaquizzi would go down there too, and it's hard to make an argument to – get him off the block. So I don't know, for whatever reason, the pieces just didn't quite fit last year and the sum was not greater than the parts. And that's happened a couple years now. And, and you're right, Ty, I, I, one of these years, I'm not going to pick them towards the co- top of the conference and they're going to win the whole thing and a game in the NCAA tournament. I'm going to look foolish. But it's like, you know, okay, so what do we, uh, at some point, what happens here? How do they, how do they come together? There's certainly a great Certainly great pieces on on this team, but um, you just never really know, are they going to put it together? They haven't shown us that yet. Yeah, that's the thing with O'Banner. There's times down in the post, I mean, there's no one more physically gifted in the post than him. And he shoots 38% from free, from three. It it But then he plays 15 minutes the next game. It's one of the more fascinating things I've seen. I mean, this could easily be the year where they play through him on the block. He gets a catch every time. He's fully engaged. He blows up, averages 26 points and 12 rebounds, and he's the conference player of the year. I mean, that would not that would not surprise me. I, I feel comfortable putting him against Douglas Wilson. Like, I don't know. I, Greg, what do you think? Well, I, I'm with you guys. I mean, there's no question. I think O'Banner has the you know the combination of size and skill and, and, and ability – at a higher level than anybody else in the league. And I, I'm even including Douglas Wilson. I think maybe I'll go back to um, what you said. If someone said who's most best equipped to play at the highest level, it's O'Banner. 
and and it's funny that you bring up Douglas Wilson, uh, Zach. When we're talking about Wilson and O'Banner, all three of us would say the same thing. What's the difference? You never question on any game night that Wilson is going to come out and produce. You just don't question. His motor never stops. O'Banner, I, I just don't know. And that's something that it falls on Coach Mills. How does he find a way to get the, the most out of O'Banner? And, and one of the simple things could be, hey, Nesquazy's gone. You're our guy. You're going to play as many minutes down there. You're going to score as many points. We're going to run everything through you. I need you to be great. And that might be all he needs, and he might go out and dominate the league. You never know. Because I, I'm in complete agreement when you look at Aismas and, and Weaver coming back, his versatility, and, and he's got a high motor. Um, those three are a, a, as solid a core as anybody. And I'm the idiot. When I put my preseason poll together, I go, yep, I've been wrong so many times. I'm going to put Oral, Oral, Oral Roberts second. I'm one of those guys that I guess if I play the same numbers in the lottery, I think I'm, I'm, that someday I'm going to win it. <laughs> but I think they're as talented as anybody. You know, Coach Mills has got to be in a situation where he's got to figure out how to, how to finish a conference season strong and then how to get into the conference tournament and put a couple of wins together to give his team a chance to go to the NCAA. I think comparing and contrasting Douglas Wilson with Kevin O'Banner is really, really very interesting. You know, Douglas Wilson, I feel like last year he was conference player of the year, but they didn't necessarily run their offense through him. He was one of the more efficient players that I think I've ever seen. He's incredibly smart. He's a very, very good passer. And he would have games where, yeah, he's not the main focal point of the offense, so he's going to score 18 points on eight shots and have 12 rebounds and have six assists, and they're going to they're gonna be up by 25 because Friedel's knocking down threes. And he's just an incredibly, incredibly efficient player who doesn't necessarily need scoring to affect the game. And I felt like scoring is always what got O'Banner going. And so, yeah, there, there'd be times where O'Banner would be out there and he just couldn't quite figure out how, for whatever reason, how best to affect the game if the if the offense is being ran through Emmanuel Nezikwesi. It just didn't click for whatever reason. And you never had to even call a play for Douglas Wilson for him to really control the game, in my opinion. That's a good observation, without question. And I think the other thing that I'll look at, the difference between Oral Roberts is, is they they're, they have some great individual defenders, but their inability to defend consistently as a team is what's going to keep them from having success in the postseason until they can figure that out. Because they certainly have players that are talented enough. But as South Dakota State has figured out, as, Dave, as North Dakota State and Dave Richmond have figured out, if you want to have success in the postseason, you better have the ability to play lower possession games. You better be able to defend in the half court, and you better take care of the ball. But I think that's the biggest thing that Oral Roberts doesn't have is the, is the ability to defend consistently in the half court. Until they get it, um, they're not going to be a consistent postseason threat. Yeah, I think the conversation with O'Banner and Wilson is the perfect transition over to South Dakota. Um, with another physically gifted returning player with Stanley Amude. Um, the problem is four of their double-digit scorers from last year, Tyler Hagedorn, Tyler Peterson, Cody Kelly, Tristan Simpson, uh, all not returning. So there's a lot to, to um, add to, to the USD roster, um, starting with a lot of JUCO players. Um, there's – and some Division II players and 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 – and the like. 
Um, the, the person that, uh, and you guys can help me if I, if I pronounce the name wrong and I've been practicing, but the person that, that most people seem to be the most excited about is EJ, AJ Plitzewite. Yep. That's uh, right. From who? Okay, good. I was practicing. Um, so coming from Augustana, um, and his, his mom is the coach of the Coyote women's team, which is why I was practicing. I wanted to get try to get it right. Um, you've also got uh, Boogie Anderson, a junior Juco player who whose da- dad actually was Mike Anderson, the former Denver uh, running back, Denver Broncos running back. Um, six foot three, 187. Um, Xavier Fuller, who's a big bigger guard. 6'4", 187. And then if for those of us that are, are gopher, Minnesota Gopher basketball fans, um, Mason Archambault, um, who, whose dad played on the 1997 Gophers Final Four team, um, is, is also from a junior from Gillette College. So a lot of backcourt additions um, to the South Dakota roster. Um, and then in the front court, you've got Brady Hyman, who's um, fr- uh, transfer from Nebraska, sat out last year. This is his sophomore year. Averaged 1.8 points and 1.7 rebounds at Nebraska, but he is six foot 11. Um, known as a pretty good defensive player, um, so will be a good addition down low for the Coyotes. Um, and then a couple of freshmen from overseas, a Nicholas Zizic, um, and oh boy, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Eden. I'll try Smedjkinen. Um, from Bosnia, I, I apologize to both those young men if I if I butchered their names, but a uh, um, a six nine two thirty eight Zizic and um, a six foot seven two hundred twenty pound uh, both from Montenegro and Bosnia. Um, so a lot of change on the USD um, um, roster yet with Amude there. Um, one of those teams where it's hard not to say they're they're going to still be in the top half of the conference battling um, with the other teams in the top half. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it is interesting. Uh, Amude is is clearly one of the one of the best players returning in the league. Uh, extremely versatile, extremely skilled. I'll agree 100% with you on Plitzewite. I think he's very talented. Had an exceptional freshman season at Augustana. They're going to count on him to be good. Um, the uh, uh, oh, by the way, the, the, the only pronunciation I'll criticize you on, and, and USD fans might as well, it's coyotes. You can't call them coyotes. They're coyotes. And so that's, uh, I'm just giving you a, a bad time. But it's, you know how those, <laughs> you know how those mascot things go. I, it's, it's, I was even going to say that, and then the Minnesotan in me <laughs> t- took over. So I, I've heard that before and have been criticized on it before. But my brain, too many years of it going the other way, I think. Yeah, no, you're 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 just fine. I just had to give you a bad time, but that's um, you know, again, a huge turnover, and they it'll be interesting to see, you know, does Hyman come in from a Big Ten school and can he make an impact? Uh, how much do they let Amude do? Who takes over for Tristan Simpson, who I think was one of the the best and most underrated point guards for four years uh, in the Summit League, just a, a heck of a player, and and they struggled without him early in the season last year when he came back they were a much better team so there's going to be opportunities do they play puts away at the point do they play him off the ball uh it'll be interesting to see how they adapt and then when you talk about that foreign connection that's something that that coach todd lee and his staff have never shied away from they'll they won't hesitate they've got some connections over in in uh bosnia i believe and and uh so it's they'll continue to go there uh, as long as they get some players that can produce 
I think the situation can in some way be like that Oral Roberts situation where, you know, last year they had talent. They were a, they were a good team. I think they were better than the Oral Roberts team. But it almost was like the sum wasn't greater than their parts. And where I'm going with this is, you know, if the situation kind of clears a little bit and now if Kevin O'Banner is the guy and he's the guy every single night and they know where they're starting their offense, they're giving him the ball and they're letting him go, maybe they're better this way. And I'm almost wondering if it this could be the same thing with the South Dakota team where, you know, last year Stanley Mude didn't get – the probably the amount of touches that he should because there's only one basketball. And what are you going to do? Take it away from Tyler Hagedorn, who's shooting 50% from the three-point line, you know? I almost wonder if the simplicity of this situation, the fact that they're going to have to start every offensive possession with Stanley and Mude, might ultimately make them better. I, I don't know. They're definitely going to be a very different team than last year because last year they had a bunch of really tough-minded, physically and mentally tough, players that were very disciplined and they were just hard to beat. But I almost wonder if could this team have a little higher ceiling uh, with Stanley Moody touching the ball every time? I don't know, but I think I, you could see some parallels to me between the Oral Roberts team this year and South Dakota. Yeah, I think Moody's role will be more clearly defined. I, I'll agree with you without, without question on that. It'd be interesting to see a lot of opportunities for a lot of new players. So that leads us to the other South Dakota school, South Dakota State, and, and Zach. Yeah, so who did they lose off of last year's team? Um, not that much. Brandon Key, who was a, a point guard who played off and on throughout the year, uh, was probably one of the the biggest ball handlers that they had, probably closest to being a, a true point guard. Alu Dillon. Uh, he was actually a really good player. I, I thought he was a, a nice player. He, there just wasn't a path to playing time for him, and he wanted to play. Um, because they have Douglas Wilson and Matt Detlinger. And, you know, you don't want to be cliche and call them thunder and lightning or something like that, but, you know, they're very good complements to each other. Douglas Wilson being the, the hyper-athletic 6'7", um, forward, he catch the ball, go right around any post, score, Tremendous rebounder. I feel like he was still just trying to get himself established last year, and he still won conference player of the year. And on the other side is Matt Dellinger, who's the polished back-to-the-basket post player, uh, who, again, is very smart. Both of these guys shot over 62% from the field. I mean, think about that starting point for any team. You have two post players that shoot over 62%. How can you go wrong? Well, surrounding them... They have a bunch of really smart guys that can all shoot. Noah Friedel, just a guy that got better and better and better as the year went on. A lot of times we talk about freshmen hitting the freshman wall. Well, that did not happen with him, and he got better and better. I believe he had like 35 points in the first round of the Summit League tournament. Correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, on that. But um, just extremely efficient, uses ball screens very well really well-rounded. He's going to be one of those guys that by the time he's, you know, in, in two or three years in the future, people are going to be like, man, can he graduate already? Because he's he could be like one of the all-time greats in this conference if his if his career continues on the trajectory it is right now. David Wingett, he's, he's a, a transfer from Memphis. So, you know, he has an immense amount of talent, six, seven wing that can shoot it. He, was, he got started a little bit slower last year, but they stuck with him. 
And uh, he's going to be a really good player again this year. I really think he's going to take a, a nice jump this year. Uh, just a full year in the system, getting used to just the way they play. Can shoot it, pass, dribble. I mean, a six-seven wing, you know, pretty much all any team can handle. Uh, Baylor Shireman, he's a, a really interesting player. He's a, he's very unique. He's six-six, but he's more of a point guard, wouldn't you say, Greg? Yeah, I just a multi-dimensional player, and it's funny when you talk about point guard because they moved Alex Arians from the three the year before to playing the, kind of the full-time point guard at six-four, not your jet type player so both shireman and arians both very skilled multi-dimensional players zach and most years i would look at this roster and be like okay i'm a little concerned about the lack of a true point guard a, a ball dominant point guard but they didn't have one last year and when you have two strong post players i don't think it necessarily matters that much if you want to surround these two post players with smart players that can shoot make good decisions and that's what they have here. They feel pretty good about, you know, like, like you mentioned, Alex Arians, I, you know, they they trust him in any scenario, in any defensive matchup. Matt Mims comes off the bench. He's probably the closest thing that they have to a true point guard, but they've proven that that's not a big issue at all. They play just fine without that true point guard like a lot of teams have. I'm in complete agreement, and I think the thing that Coach Henderson gets his guys to do maybe as well as anybody is that they just play their tails off, and, and they compete. They'll get out, and they'll defend you. Very versatile. Um, I, I don't know that anybody saw Dentlinger you know, coming on the way he did last year. Just an absolute amazing compliment to Wilson on the block, and the, the, their ability to play both of those bigs together and be amazingly effective is impressive. And Noel Friedel, that kid will rip your heart out to find a way to get a win for his team. That kid is uh, high level. So th there's a reason that I, and I'm, I don't mean to speak for you guys, but I think there's a reason that this team is going to be the consensus favorite heading into the summer league season. Yeah, I wouldn't want a game plan against these guys. You know, just trying to put yourself in the shoes, and Greg, obviously you can do that, of, of the coach trying to game plan. Okay, so what's the plan here? What are we going to try to exploit? <laughs> I don't know. Well, and it was so, you know, I think everybody feels – you can never apologize for it, but we have to remember Wilson was really dinged up and didn't play down the stretch last year and it, it still won player of the year in the league. And you, you know, wonder what could have happened. You can't ever apologize. You got to, everybody's got to be ready, but I'm sure what they're hoping is they can keep everybody healthy, but they're a nightmare to game plan for Zach. It's, it's just plain and simple. And uh, if, if you're Eric Henderson, love to hear that about your team and, at the same time, they'll go into the to the season probably as the prohibitive favorite, and that takes the pressure off everybody else. And now we'll see how they handle things as the hunted. Well, and when you think about it, with Friedel as sort of the third wheel, remember that. And I know it was in a loss, but that uh, opening round Summit tournament game. What, what did he score? Thirty something. He oh, just yeah. couldn't miss. Uh, and that was without Wilson, if I remember right. Yeah. And, and so you add that all together with another with a year of experience. It's it's things are looking really good. Without I feel like I feel like using uh, the post as a, as a screener and coming off not not ball screens but just screens in general is sort of a lost art. And Noah Friedel obviously does a fantastic job of that. And the problem is, you know, not only can he read screens correctly, but who's ever guarding the screener can't help off of 
the person setting the screen. And so it just it puts defenses in just a no-win situation where you have a guy reading the scheme correctly and no help being able to be given. So they're just going to keep running that, and there's not much to do for game planning because it's just about reading it. So I, it's a fantastic place to start from. I'm not 100% sure what the game plan would be there. Now if they could just make it out of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of a they, – they, they're facing some pressure there, but we'll, we'll see what happens. They're, they're, without question, they are the – the, the the favorite heading into the Summit League season this year, and rightfully so. Their personnel is, is second to none. So from a team with almost no change to a team with basically one player returning, um, I'll do a quick preview of uh, Western Illinois. And, yeah, basically everybody left. Kobe Webster to Nebraska, Zion Young to Oakland, Ben Pyle to San Diego. And the only returning starter – I'm not starter, but player with any significant minutes scored five points a game. And so they are restarting from basically scratch, new coach, all of that. Um, just some of the backcourt players that, that might contribute. And again, who kn- knows really with everyone being new, um, but you've got Marcus Watson out of Chicago, a three-star recruit, um, six foot 170. And then Ramin Hinton, is considered by most to be the best recruit ever at Western Illinois, another three-star recruit out of Chicago. And I believe it was Greg, you said earlier, but just the fact that they're getting players out of Chicago already is saying good things for coach Jeter. Um, And then you've got Justin Brookins, a junior college player who shot 51% from three. And I get that it was at junior college level, but I couldn't shoot 51% from three if I was in by myself in a gym. So, uh, a definite shooter there, JJ Flores, a junior college and um, player as well. And then Braden Lamar, a freshman out of Las Vegas um, in the front court. If he can get his waiver approved, you've got Tamel Pearson who came, who's coming from UAB. He's a junior. Um, he did start 18 games last year and scored 3.7 points and 3.6 rebounds. Um, but like I said, they're still waiting for the waiver to be approved. And then two grad transfers, Rod Johnson out of Chattanooga, who averaged over six points a game at Chattanooga, which is a solid mid-major program. And then Will Carius is a grad transfer from Monmouth College, and that's not Monmouth out of the Northeast. Um, that's a Division three school, but he did average 25 points and 11 rebounds at the Division three level, and he'll be eligible immediately. So a lot of change with Western Illinois and probably won't show up this year. Um, I would anticipate a bottom of the pack finish this year, but it looks like things are going the right direction. Well, this is certainly an easy, uh, an interesting case study for if you were a, if you were willing to go scorched earth and how quickly you you could rebuild a program with the transfer portal. Uh, I, my guess is this what we're seeing here. We may see more of this in the future because there's just more and more players available. And it's becoming easier and easier to transfer. My guess is, and they're talking about it right now, that there's probably at least going to be a one-time uh, exemption given for people to transfer and be immediately eligible. So what he's doing right now um, may become the norm. Whether that's good or not, it's probably for a, another podcast. But uh, 
I, I think it's good for parity at least that programs can rebuild almost overnight and he doesn't have to recruit a bunch of freshmen this year and, and be a poor team for the next two or three years. He can, he can uh, short circuit it and be good right off the bat or respectable at least. Yeah, it's, it's very possible. And, and I think, like I say, I, I wish I could give you an opinion on him. I'm intrigued to see what the D3 transfer brings in because what I've seen is if you're a good post player, uh, my guess is he'll be able to be a kid that can score with his back to the basket in the league. And um, because he obviously had some impressive numbers, even though it was at the Division three level, I think the, the thing that this just kind of magnifies to me as I'm sitting listening to you guys talk about Western Illinois, everybody's looking at a mulligan year. I mean, I think there's a lot of coaches who might have been in trouble, might have been head, and, and there will probably be some turnover after the season. I don't think there's going to be much. There wasn't much last year because of the, the, the pandemic. I don't think there's going to be a lot this year either, just because there's so many unknowns. Uh, everything has been, everybody's been thrown a curveball, and this might be the most ideal time for Coach Jeter to come to Western Illinois with absolutely zero pressure. This is kind of a do-over year. Nobody loses any eligibility. I want to get my feet underneath me. I want to get to, to know what we can do here at Western. So um, if you're looking for a silver lining and if you're a coach in the league, eh, Coach Jeter might have the, the most silver of any linings just the way this whole season is playing out because of the circumstances that everybody is dealing with. Well, and I can't see a scenario where adding Billy Donlin and, and Rob Jeter as coaches to the league, um, to, especially to Western, Western Illinois with, with Coach Jeter, it makes the whole league stronger. So it's sure. nice to get really good coaches. Um, the, the Summit League is already a conference that finishes around 15 in Ken Palm. It's a really solid mid-major conference. Um, it's one of the reasons I was disappointed that South Dakota State didn't make it through the conference tournament, especially when Dom was there and things like that, because I think chances at winning tournament games also would help the league. But I think just adding those two coaches, there's just no way that that doesn't make the league better in the long run too. I'm really curious to see what this league would look like if the ninth place team that doesn't make the tournament has like six wins instead of two or three, Uh, just the amount of pressure that puts on, the whole conference and makes the regular season just that much more interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting year. I, I think you guys make great points. And so I, I just can't wait for basketball to start. I think we still, none of us really know when it is. There's some of these multi-team events, but let's see when it happens. But uh, it's just great to sit and talk about it. So I appreciate the viewpoint that you guys have brought. And, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out, gentlemen. I, I can't wait to get it started. Certainly feels good to talk about it. I really don't have any expectations. Um, whatever happens, it's all gravy from my perspective. So, um, you know, hopefully, like we talked about at the beginning, they're learning a lot from football and what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, we'll see which uh, which programs are disciplined and uh, adhere to the standards and are able to pull us off. Well, and great points both by both of you I, i'm just excited for every game so i'll take each game and be happy that i got what i got and hope that it ends in a in a tournament and selfishly hopes in, it ends in a tournament where i'm sitting in las vegas watching it but it, anything we can get is, is going to be good and i'm just excited to be talking basketball and and 
less than a month away from multi-team events starting and things like that. So, um, well, that will probably wrap us up for this episode. And so we'll look forward to next episode, talking a little bit more about where we think teams will finish in the conference. Um, you can find us at our website is reaching the summit podcast.com. There's also in-depth articles written by, we have now six writers for, for five different teams. So we're excited to get the fan perspective there. Um, and then our, our podcast is posted there and we'll be able to be found anywhere you can find a podcast. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. It's been awesome. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks guys. Yeah.